Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be trying something a little different this time. Instead of having one guest, I'll be having two guests. Peter, Matheny, and Cola are both mortgage planners with a combined 40 years experience in the industry. As a mortgage broker myself, I thought it'd be interesting to pick their brains. Peter started out with a degree in economics and investments and quickly realized he preferred giving money to clients to invest rather than asking for it to invest. Over the last 20 plus years, he has helped thousands realize their dream of home ownership and being a mortgage broker, there were no fees for his assistance. In my interview with Peter and Cola, we discuss why you should consider using the services of a mortgage broker over the banks how to make the process smoother when working with a mortgage broker, and how the mortgage industry has evolved over the years. Without further ado, here's my interview with Peter, Matheny, and Cola. Hi, Peter. Hi, Cola. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Cola here. Awesome. Looking forward to a very interesting discussion on the mortgage industry as well as real estate. Our pleasure. We'd love to impart whatever we've learned over the last 40, 50 years collectively. <laughs> Sounds great. So perfect. Let's get started then. So why should somebody consider using the services of a mortgage broker or mortgage planner over the banks? And we could start with you first, Peter. Great. Well, the fundamental difference between going to the bank directly and using a mortgage planner or broker is the mortgage planner or broker doesn't really have any big secrets. And yes, they get you a lower interest rate, but more importantly, they're your personal mortgage researcher. So by using a mortgage broker or mortgage planner, really you're just choosing to A, try to do the research yourself, which would take you months and months and be very, very overwhelming, or B, you just approach the mortgage planner directly and say, hey, tell me what's trending now. The mortgage planner's or mortgage broker's role is not to get you the lowest interest rate. The mortgage planner's role is to help you understand how you pay the lender less interest. You can imagine if there's 52 mortgage lenders in Canada and they all have a 2% interest rate, even if you are totally financially illiterate, you would ask yourself, well, all these mortgages can't be the same. Which one is appropriate for my situation? Which one has the right terms, maneuvers, privileges that would ultimately help me pay less interest to the lender? So conversely, if you go directly to a lender, you're going to a supplier. They're not educators. They definitely don't want you doing research. Every lender's biggest concern is an informed consumer. Once you're informed, they get nervous that you know too much and they have to start divulging more information. And like I've always said, going to a bank or a lender directly for mortgage advice is like going to a Ford dealership and saying, hey, what kind of car should I buy? It just doesn't make sense. So that's a summary of why the mortgage broker planner is really your neutral educator. You're ultimately, the borrower ultimately is going to make the decision. Our only job is to impart on them 
what is trending now and it does change week to week, month to month. What was hot last month may not be appropriate this month. There's obviously a difference between what some borrowers want and what they can have. That's just the way life is. Great. And I really like the way that you put it about going to the car dealership. I like that analogy a lot. So Cola, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm in, uh, in, the, in the same spirit of, of Peter. I think our number one goal here is to boost your financial IQ, specifically so you can enhance your net worth and more specifically, as Peter outlined, so that you pay less interest over the length of your mortgage payments. And we do that specifically by sharing with you exactly the pros and cons of any specific plan that is going to be unique because there are no two same plans because every single one of us is different, right? So I think ultimately, once you talk about the education piece, that's one. The other second piece would be alignment specifically. I think when you, you come to us, we are proactively working with you, not in competition with you. And you can see that, for example, if you come to us, we're not going to go say, hey, here's the deal, but if you go get a better deal, we'll come and match it. I mean, why? I'm not going to waste your time on that. I'm going to be proactively working with you to get the best plan for you at that time. That's a great way that you put it. And I, I just had another question come to mind. Now, I find a lot of consumers are very focused on getting the lowest mortgage rate, but certainly that does matter in terms of saving money. But perhaps you could talk about some of the other factors that matter when shopping for a mortgage besides just the mortgage rate. Well, first of all, pardon me for saying it's you're completely or anyone listening to this is incorrect if they think a lower mortgage rate is going to save them any real money. It doesn't happen. On a $500,000 mortgage, if you got a 0.1% less interest rate, you're not saving even 500 bucks a year. People don't call us or don't work with a mortgage planner to save $500 a year. They want to learn to save a few thousand dollars a year. So ask your parents who had interest rates, 8, 9, 10, 12%. They didn't pay their mortgage off because their interest rate was low. You pay your mortgage off based on the terms and privileges like you build an RRSP. My best analogy is an RRSP. RRSP rates aren't fantastic, but why does your RRSP grow? Because every pay period you throw in $200, 20 years later, it's $100,000, right? A mortgage is no different. It's crucial to understand a lower interest rate will make an insignificant difference. The key to any mortgage is having the right prepayment privileges and options and exercising them. Therefore, I always have to remind, or we always have to remind all our clients is, hey, it's great that you got a great rate, but your mortgage is not going to go away any faster unless you start making, consciously making, setting up even small contributions. 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there. That's the power of compounding interest. It's no different than an RSP. So every month sooner I can contribute 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there. It may seem insignificant, but over the 5, 10, 15 year timeline, it dramatically reduces your mortgage. You've dramatically paid less interest to the lender. The interest, the slightly lower, slightly higher interest rate in the grand scheme of things is very insignificant. And that's always a key part of our conversation with borrow because they tend to fixate on what's the lowest interest rate. And once we put into perspective, it's not about the lowest interest rate. Of course, we all want a low interest rate. And of course, Cole and I get them a better rate than they'll get on their own. But that's not going to really enhance their financial position. They have to understand the mechanics of the mortgage and how to exercise them to their advantage. Lenders, going direct to lender, they're not going to give you those that kind of advice. They're not going to keep on top of it before. They're not going to coach you. We coach our clients on an ongoing basis because our whole business is based on 
others being introduced to us. So if we're not saving our clients three, four, five thousand dollars a year, they're not introducing new clients to us. And without being too long-winded, I'll give you a brief example. Last week, I changed a lady's bi-weekly payment by $20, mind you, her mortgage was smaller, and we knocked two years off her mortgage. You think her bank is going to call her up and tell her, hey, by the way, if you pull this little maneuver, you, you'll pay your mortgage off quicker? Just like a financial planner would call up their clients and say, let's bump up your RSP contribution by 100 bucks a month because, look, it'll be $100,000 more 10 years, 20 years from now. That's a great point and analogy. And Cola, I was just curious, in terms of interest rates, I'm sure people say, oh, they want the lowest mortgage rate, but do you try to educate them about other things that matter like penalties, prepayments, and other factors like collateral mortgages that people may not think of and may not come to top of mind? Absolutely. Uh, I think you were reading my mind. Specifically, I think your audience can go out there and ask their friends, hey, when you broke your fixed mortgage, what did you pay? Right? Ultimately, Peter and I are, are trying to increase your net worth by educating you. And one of those pieces there is, one, we're, we're focusing on the interest payments and they're making those lower from a form of cash flow. But one of the ways we also want to do is protect your hard-earned savings and your capital. And just to give you a baseline difference, on average, just using very simple metrics your clients can use, is if you take a fixed mortgage and you break the penalty, it's going to be about 4% of your outstanding balance. Whereas if you take a variable, keep it simple, the 1% is actually 70 basis points for my financial planners out there, but it's a lot It's a lot less. So basically, the fixed rate penalty is about four times the size of the uh, variable. So let's say we take an example of a $300,000 mortgage. Would you rather pay $12,000 if you break the terms, or would you prefer to pay less than $3,000? And some people might say, well, what's the frequency of that occurrence? I think it's key that most people should know that up to two-thirds plus 70% of people break their five-year mortgage. So this is something that is probably material and will occur. And it's not something that the banks are generally going to be talking to you about. I mean, certainly the, the banks can make sense for some people, but you really need a mortgage broker or planner on your side to look out for your best interests if there's a chance that you might end up breaking your mortgage. Well, let me compliment what Cole has said. Typically, when you go to the bank branch, they say, Take a five-year fixed mortgage, but there's no data, there's no statistics they can pull up ever that remotely suggests take a five-year fixed mortgage, unless you're paying your mortgage off in about a five-year timeline, then it would make sense. But you know, the average Canadian, generally speaking, is paying off their mortgage now in about 20 years. So you have to think of a 20-year, 18, 20-year timeline. When you approach the bank manager or the mortgage manager at a bank and they're suggesting a five-year fix, you should ask, well, why are you suggesting a five-year fix? Now, we all know no one knows the future, but maybe they say, well, I believe interest rates are only going to go up. Okay. If they know that, that's awesome. Then how come you're not suggesting I take a 10-year mortgage and buy myself some protection? Well, they generally don't because 10 years is not the most profitable mortgage for a bank. Then if they say, well, I feel interest rates are going to stay reasonably low. No one knows the future. It might go up. It might go down. Then they should be leaning towards suggesting a variable to you. Okay. So that's just a segue into or, or complimenting kind of what Cole is talking about, because all the bad press you're going to hear, everything you read or Google that's negative about mortgages is generally speaking, five-year fixed or some kind of fixed mortgage term, because unless you are exactly going to have the mortgage market environment five years from your renewal date, you better not want to change earlier. You'll pay those huge penalties Cole is referring to. Remember, taking a five-year fixed mortgage is a low-margin bet because you're betting that 
precisely on my fifth anniversary, not a week earlier or a week later, the mortgage environment's gonna be exactly the way I want it. Well, that's kind of a crazy low margin bet. So remember, people like variable rate mortgage, yes, the interest rate's traditionally much less, but it's because of, on a five-year variable mortgage, you're not locking into this contract in the sense that any given day of the week, one month into your mortgage, three years into mortgage, something else appeals to you. You're selling, you're buying, you want to increase your mortgage, you want to switch to another term. You can for free or with a very small penalty on a variable rate mortgage. But if you try to break a five-year fixed mortgage two or three years into it, regardless of the reason, divorcing, moving, selling, want to go to another lender, whatever, or want to go to another term, I should say, you're looking at significant penalties, generally three, four times that what you would pay, if not five times more than that what you would pay on a variable rate mortgage. That's a great point. Moving on to our next question, we've seen a lot of changes in the mortgage industry just in the last two or three years alone. The mortgage stress test, higher interest rates, but perhaps you could both tell me, starting first with Peter, how has the mortgage industry changed over the last 10, 20 years, and what are your thoughts on it going forward? Well, you know, I want to start by obviously stating I don't know the future, but let me tell you about what's changed kind of in the last 10 years and what I expect in the years to come. Well, obviously, it's no secret the mortgage underwriting guidelines have tightened up in the last 10 years because Big Brother's a little concerned that the average consumer is not really that financially savvy and they want to obviously regulate it to some degree. And I don't disagree with a lot of the initiatives the government's taking. Sometimes they take it too far, sometimes they don't take it far enough. But Generally speaking, you know, we should all be financially literate, but we also uh, have to look at the bigger macroeconomic picture that we also want our economy to survive and people not going bankrupt. So anyway, so obviously we all see the rules tightening, not necessarily for the worse, not necessarily for the better. And that will probably be going forward. I don't think we'll see too many changes. If anything, I've heard they might even, you know, right now, for those that are familiar with this, the cap is the insurers are allowed to insure properties up to a million dollars in the GTA. I hear rumor that they're going to revisit that this, this coming year and it might move up to one and a half million because of the, the price of properties in the GTA. But the point I'm trying to make is they've tightened up the rules. I think they've tightened them up enough. I don't see them changing them anymore. What we will be seeing is there'll be more use of alternative lenders. What alternative lenders doesn't mean they're private or, or, or shady lenders. They mean most of these institutions have an A product, which means it's cookie cutter. You meet all the new stress tests. It's just a rubber stamp. You're good. And then most lenders have an alternative department, which means that they're self-employed. Their income isn't quite up to snuff, but we can kind of cut and paste it together so it does meet these stress tests. Their credit's not really the best, but we do have a, a reasonable explanation. And then that's going to be a growing segment in our market, a growing supplier to the general public. And just to elaborate on that, those alternative mortgages, they're the non-discounted rates. So think of it this way. When you go to the corner bank branch and you see their interest rates, they look high because you go online and you know that all lenders will discount their rates. For these B-type, for lack of a better expression, applications that don't fit the cookie cutter stress test, they're going to pay those regular posted type rates you see on the rate board at the bank, and they're, they're not going to be entitled to the discount. Or the point is, from a slot supply and demand perspective, the lender doesn't really want to or need to. They're taking on more risk to discount those particular type of mortgage applications. So going forward, you'll see more and more of that kind of lending, but the sky's not falling. Uh, lenders do want to lend money, uh, and the regulators have stepped in to keep the lenders from being too aggressive, and uh, that's really where we're at right now. 
Thanks for sharing your wisdom, Peter. And Kola, with the mortgage stress test and the tougher rules, I'm just curious how that's affected your clients on a day-to-day basis. For example, people who are self-employed, people who are trying to refinance their mortgages, are you finding that it's tougher nowadays versus maybe two, three, four, five years ago? Specifically with regards to the stress test, I think the general impact has been that it's reduced affordability. And what that would be is affordability maximums, and specifically it's reduced the range, and let's call that anywhere between 15 to 20%. That's on the base case level. On the marginal level, what it has done is, from a portfolio point of view, let's say the privates may have consisted of about 5% of the portfolio. That's probably doubled now. So what has happened is, as Peter was talking about alternatives, and he was talking about alternatives next to the standard. But remember, we have a wide breadth of products. We've got the standard products, we've got the B-lenders, and we go all the way to the private. So what it has done on the extreme end, the stress test has caused certain amounts of people have to go to the private because ultimately they're not qualifying within the, the B or the A. And are you finding more of your clients have to go to the private side nowadays or alternative lenders just because they're not fitting under the tighter underwriting guidelines that lenders have nowadays? So to, to complement what Cola says, is I would say here in our office, over the last year to date, uh, we've probably seen those B applications or those alternative applications, or let's call them more creative applications, probably double. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's direct reflection of the stress tests. So it doesn't matter how awesome the bank manager may be. Bank manager could be your mom. As you well know, they don't make the decisions anymore. Federal stress tests do. So this alternative lending, which is allowed to to interpret income and credit a little bit differently, is definitely a 100% growing segment. And like I said a moment ago, probably double the applications this year for that segment compared to 12 months ago. Interesting. And I would say, Sean, just to add to that, I think in the finance arena alone, you know, I, I believe stocks and bonds, and then the biggest investment category is real estate. And in that uh, category, overall, the fastest growing silo within that is compliance. There's an, certainly a, an increased amount of due diligence across the board, and that's impacts all parties uh, at, at all industries in that, in that arena. Great. So thanks for sharing your wisdom on that. Now, moving on, I just wanted to ask both of you and starting with you, Koloff, do you have any tips for clients when working with a mortgage broker to make the process smoother? For example, I've heard of issues where people have big withdrawals from their bank account and lenders want to look at a paper trail and you can run into problems with that. Or I've heard of people quitting their job in the middle of a mortgage application, but perhaps you could tell me a bit about some of the things that you've experienced with some of your clients and just from general tips and tricks for people to have a better, uh, smoother process when working with a mortgage broker or mortgage planner. Sure. Well, I'll tell you right from the top, the most basic one is don't buy the property before you come talk to me. And you may say that seems pretty straightforward. I just had a client two weeks ago who did that. And ultimately, there were some assumptions made in there. He goes, oh, I've got the money and whatnot. I ultimately was able to fund him, but it was a real trial and error. And we could have uh, saved a lot of time and effort if he'd come spoken to me and uh, we'd run the analysis prior to so that we can source exactly what's the best plan for him up front. On a general level, I think, uh, you know, the key thing I'd like to, to share with the audience is that you know, when you come to us, and, and Peter and I specifically, we, we get our clients on referrals. So there's going to be a transfer of trust. What we ultimately can make the process smoother, I think, is for a full understanding that we're collaboratively working together as a partner. So I think it's about, it's about respect, about trust, and having a positive attitude. 
and letting us know that we're going to navigate you through to the best option that you have. Great. And Peter, did you want to answer that question now? You know, you'd be surprised. I think these are some of the obvious ones he talked about. It. You even touched on it. Is yeah, we have to tell clients, don't quit your job prior to closing. Be pre-approved. Make sure your income and your credit's vetted before. You know, when a, when a real estate agent says, hey, go get pre-approved, they're not telling their client where to get their mortgage or how much to borrow. They want their client to have their mortgage math nailed down. The real estate agent, generally speaking, doesn't care if you're putting down 5% or 500000 if you go fixed or variable, Scotiabank, TD Bank. Your real estate agent just wants you to be have the mortgage math nailed down so it's a good use of everyone's time. It's a very positive experience because they're looking at the right properties and their budget expectations have been vetted. So the coolest point is we say, let's get pre-approved, let's check your credit, let's bet your income, and don't make any huge material changes. And what I mean by that is, believe it or not, some people quit their job before closing. Some people go out and lease a Mercedes-Benz for $1,200 a month, and these things can really undermine an approval in the 11th hour. Great. And Peter, I know you're a fan of 10-year mortgage terms, and you alluded to it earlier in our conversation. Can you make a case about why people should consider 10-year mortgage terms? Well, it's not so much I'm a fan of uh, a 10-year mortgage. I, I never tell people what mortgage to take. I tell them what's trending. I'm a borrower like them. I like to save money. I don't work at a bank. Usually they don't work at a bank. So we have those two things in common. So I tell them what's trending. So variable is definitely trending way out in front. But if someone said to me, listen, I think interest rates will only go up. I can't challenge them. I don't know the future. They don't know the future either, but they're, they're welcome to their opinion. And they, I think, well, I, my mom and dad think rates are going to six, seven, eight percent. So I say, if you feel that way, I respect that. Go for the longest term you can get your hands on if you think interest rates are so great. Until 2008, 2009, we did have in Canada 15, 20, and 25-year terms, believe it or not. Now the longest term you can get is 10-year. So that's why you asked that question. That's why I say to anyone, if you have any doubt and you feel interest rates are really going to go crazy, then you should reach out for the longest term you can. If you're not sure, you go variable. So when I track what people are choosing, variable is way out front. I think we've already established that. Believe it or not, the number two choice is tenure. That's the next group that says, you know, I'm really skittish and I think interest rates are going to go crazy. And then those people who aren't sure what they want to do, uh, two years actually in third position. So people say, I don't know, two year rate reasonable. Give me 24 months to kind of get settled in and figure out what I want to do. Now, to expand on the tenure, there's only one time I saw tenure be extremely popular, and I agreed with people who took it, is you wouldn't remember this, but about three and a half, four years ago, variable rates were 2.9. Tenure was around three and a half, so as you can see, the spread is very small. And at that time, they were saying, oh, the economy is going to improve and rates are going to go up, which didn't happen. But the point being, people were saying, well, you know what? The spread's only 0.6. I can buy myself protection for 10 years, lion's share of my mortgage interest will be paid in the first 10 years. So even if my mortgage drags on 12, 15, 18 years, I've, I've knocked the lion's share of the interest down with this 10-year term. So that's the only time I saw people, for lack of a better expression, en masse go for 10-year. But I do like 10-year for anyone who doesn't know what's going on or they're really, really afraid of interest rates going up. And I can't debate it because I'm the first to admit I know the future. I say go as long as you can. Don't think I'll take a five-year fixed mortgage and in five years from now, the sun's going to come out and rates are going to be good. Because if you feel interest rates are trending up, go for the longest term you can get your hands on. 
Great. Thanks very much for sharing your wisdom on that point. Peter, Cola, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Before I let both of you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm going to, what I like to share is that when people approach a mortgage lender or two, please do not be discouraged if they don't get the right answers. Please don't feel that a visit to one or two institutions is a fair representation of the broader Canadian mortgages available, both institutional, private, and otherwise, okay? Because it's a very, very common misconception. People go down to their corner bank and they get a negative answer, go, this is never gonna happen. Not true. Until you speak to someone like Cole or myself, who's an independent advisor that has access to multiple, I mean multiple, there's 52 lenders in Canada, not to mention private lenders and other uh, sources. My closing comment is usually, not always, but usually there's a mortgage solution. Now, it may not be the mortgage solution the borrower was hoping for, but again, life is always about what I want and what I can have can vary. So that's my, my word of advice to anyone seeking some kind of mortgage funding. Don't get discouraged. Talk to an independent advisor. Let them do all the research for you. You might be surprised of what your true mortgage funding options are out there in the open market, opposed to what one or two lenders might have told you. That's great to know. Well, thank you very much for both being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.